All right, welcome in 156 Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Jadon. Got an interview at the end of the episode. Uh, pretty special interview. You'll want to stick around for that. Lee Steinberg, the real life Jerry Maguire, super agent, uh, agent to the stars, including currently Pat Mahomes, um, formerly Tua Tungvaluwa uh, for today's current players. He's also the representative for Stetson Bennett. You may have heard of him. So that interview at the end of the episode, but first Braves, uh, little heritage golf tournament, some local uh, sports notes with the GHSA spring meeting, and a lot, lot more. Let's get after it for 156th time. Hot Grits Podcast. I hate LeBron James. When God created Adam and Eve, the next thing he did was yell at the referee. But first, some sports. Alright, welcome in. Hot Grits Podcast, episode 156. Um, we're going to bounce around a little bit here to start, and then we'll get to my interview with Lee Steinberg, uh, the Jerry Maguire Lee Steinberg, uh, the super agent Lee Steinberg, and, and the man whose interview I royally, royally screwed up. Uh, so you'll get to listen to that. You'll get to um, hear Mike Anthony and I react to that interview, as well as talk Braves and baseball storylines after that interview. But first, the Georgia High School Association, the GHSA, held its spring meeting, spring executive meeting, uh, on Monday, April 17th, at the Marriott in Macon. Perfect place for the GHSA to hold this meeting. They have a spring executive committee meeting every spring and every fall. And it is in these meetings, folks, where changes are truly made. Not only are they made to high school athletics across the state, but they're discussed or they're not discussed. In other words, whatever changes are made on the field and off of it in Georgia high school sports, they begin and end with this executive committee. Either this is where the conversations start or this is where they end. Either this is where the rule changes and the rule adjustments start or this is where they end. Okay, so after the meeting on Monday, we have the notes that come out. By the way, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a video or audio of the meeting? Wouldn't that be transparent? Why do we have to depend on meeting minutes to get some of this information? At the end of the meeting minutes, which are, which are well done, I should say, but even if the minutes are well done, we don't have exactly what was said or what was discussed. Especially at the end of these meeting minutes where the, where the director's report is essentially five to seven paragraphs of what Dr. Robert, Robin Hines the GHSA's director, head guy in charge, where he addresses the 75-person committee. The people on the executive committee are athletic directors for the most part. Um, 
they all come together and they vote, discuss, propose these changes. But at the end, the director, Robin Hines, gives his report. And that's where the juice is. Because we could talk about the instant replay in football championship games. But who gives a rip about that? There has been so much media attention around the, the instant replay being implemented in state football title games when that will influence so very little. First off, it's obvious that it only influences football. Okay, second off, it only influences one game a year in football, the football state title game. Even if it was for the entirety of the playoffs, it only, it only affects a certain portion, small portion, to make it that far. And then when you get to that game, there's only a few plays where the replay will affect it. But some of this stuff coming out of the executive committee is far far more important, and it impacts far, far more athletes than instant replay. One of the things shot down, um, the proposal was tabled, essentially. Um, They tabled a proposal that would have mandated a two-year, quote, sit-out period for any middle school student who attends a camp or combine at a school and transfers to a school that was represented at that event. End quote. In other words, these middle school camps that you've seen pop up at BC, at Calvary, at basically every school there is, Jenkins, we all knew right away when those things started popping up, it wasn't to teach middle schoolers, you know, the fundamentals of the game. It was so head football coaches around this area could lay eyes on the best middle school talent in the city and then begin implementing their plan to bring them to their school. You can call it recruiting or undue influence if you want. It's coaches trying to get the best players at their school. I don't see anything wrong with that premise. But we all knew what these camps were when they started. In classic GHSA fashion, they'll react to it instead of preventing it. But the proposal was tabled. So why was it tabled? Because it was, a too, gen- it was too general of a bill. And let me find it here. I'll read it to you. It basically eliminates every middle school student that attends a camp of yours from coming to your school ninth or 10th grade year. So if so facto, that's the death of middle school football camps. Right there, if that rule were to pass. It's way too broad. Way too broad. For any middle school student athlete who attends a camp where the coaches working the event are employed or who attends a camp where the camp or event was held at the school. So he can't go to the school if any coach from that school was at a camp that he attended as a middle schooler. He can't go to any school where he attended a camp as a middle schooler. And that is already too broad. He also can't go to any school where the coach was hosting the camp. So it's, it's, it was way too broad. The motion to table was unanimously passed. 
and the men responsible for bringing the proposal and the men responsible for its ultimate um, implementation, if it ever were to pass, they come out with quotes that make you think that they're out here trying to stop recruiting and undue influence. They're not. It's been going on forever. GHSA President Jim Finch, here's his quote. This body has got to do something. And the other thing is we've got to start policing ourselves. You need to call out people in your own regions, in your own buildings. End quote. So now GHSA President Jim Finch is telling us we need to call people out. What do you think we've been doing, Jimmy? Get off your high horse. You're not Atticus Finch. You're Jimmy Finch. This body has got to do something. Well, that's, that's a nice thought. That's nice rhetoric. We've got to start policing ourselves. But then here comes the, the real kicker. But you need to call out people in your regions, in your buildings. What, how does it help anybody to call out people? If anybody knows it's me, it doesn't help anything. I still do it all the time. But calling out people is not what a GHSA executive committee should be doing. They should be implementing change. Dr. Hines said of the camps, of the middle school camps, quote, it is a problem and we need to address it. We'll work on some things because we've got to do it, end quote. Another great piece of rhetoric So you realize how important it is, but let's save it for the fall meeting. What about name, image, likeness at the high school level? 28 states have established guidelines to deal with NIL. GHSA is not a part of it. No proposal was brought forward at the Monday meeting for NIL, but he did address it in that director's report I was telling you about at the end of the meeting. Lots, lots of things revolve around this, but Heinz's general stance is that you know, players, student-athletes will have the rights to own their name, image, and likeness, but they won't be able to use the school's logo or the GHSA logo or any kind of high school athletics logo in any of their dealings on. Dealings on. So like if a high school athlete here wanted to appear in a, um, you know, if they wanted to appear in a commercial for John Carr Real Estate, they could do that. A Calvary athlete, say, could do that. But they couldn't do it wearing Calvary uniforms. They couldn't say that they're a Calvary junior football player. It would just be their name. Okay. Makes sense. Here's what I like. Here's what I like. Quote in the director's report here. Hines said, quote, the GHSA will need more education on NIL. The premise is that each individual owns his or her own name, image, and likeness, but any form of compensation cannot infringe on intellectual property, dot, dot, dot. Any form of recruiting or undue influence remains illegal, end quote. Well, duh. The worry about NIL is that even if you make recruiting and undue influence illegal, you won't be able to stop it. I can give you more education on that, Dr. Hines. Everyone knows that if you legalize NIL at the high school level, if you legislate it 
through your constitution and bylaws that a kicker will be you can't use it to recruit or un- unduly influence a student for coming to your school. But schools are going to do that anyways. So that's not really the problem, now is it? He also noted that every GHSA employee received a $2,000 increase in their salaries. So that's always nice to hear. Then Hines called upon GHSA attorney Alan Connell, Connell maybe, who gave a legal update. Says he has NIL, quote, concerns over collectibles and boosters, end quote. The GHSA lawyer then went on to address something which I've talked about on here before which I think is coming down the pipe along with NIL. Quote, he also shared information concerning transgender matters and said that he was waiting on decisions by the Supreme Court rulings to see how the GHSA needs to proceed. So the name image likeness thing is trickling down to high school athletics. Know that, know that it's coming. But the GHSA needs more education. But so too is this transgender matter Regardless of where you stand on it, it's coming down the pipe. And the GHSA has an opportunity here, just like with name, image, likeness. They have an opportunity to get out in front of it. They're going to try. They're going to try. All right, quickly here. Spring camp for Georgia wrapped up uh, with the G-Day game on Saturday. I'm not a big, big spring camp, spring game guy. I just can't get into it. Every time Georgia scores a touchdown in that game, it, I don't know if I should be happy or sad because they scored a touchdown and gave up a touchdown. Great offense, great de- or great offense or bad defense. Bad defense or great offense. You guys know what I mean. But everyone was watching that game, watching the quarterbacks. Uh, everyone was watching that game, knowing that nose tackle Bear Alexander had decided to enter the transfer portal. So, I got three clips here from Kirby Smart after the G-Day game. First on the quarterbacks, second on the transfer portal, third back to the quarterbacks. So here's Kirby Smart after the G-Day game in Athens on Saturday. It's hard because I've got to go back and watch the tape, as always. Um, I thought both of them had good composure, good pocket presence. I thought Brock used his legs uh, several times to break out of there and take off running. Uh, Brock, unfortunately, had some, some guys to drop the ball on him. Did, uh, I thought balls were really well thrown and should have been caught. Um, and, and he did a nice job in the pocket of making those throws. Um, and then Gunner did some really good things. I, I mean, I, I was really pleased with all three quarterbacks. And what you saw today was you know, similar to what we've seen really all spring. Those, we have three good quarterbacks who can make the throws and, uh, and do a really good job. I was pleased with those guys. Was today pretty indicative of the way you've tried to split first team snaps and does it mean anything that Carson was uh, had the first go of the first team? Well, it, it meant he's had the most practice reps. I mean, he's, he's been in our system the longest and uh, those guys have shared reps really all spring. Um, and Gunner's shared reps with the, the twos and the threes. And uh, the key is they all get to develop. I can promise you there's no uh, quarterbacks in the country getting as many reps as ours are because we've got enough defensive linemen and offensive linemen to have three units, sometimes four units. And in fall camp, we'll have four. Um, and when you have four units, you're able to get twice as many reps. All right, there's our coach. There's Kirby Smart talking quarterbacks, talking portal, talking quarterbacks. Um, 
I don't have a lot of takes on the quarterback situation as is. I would tell you, I would remind you that the transfer portal, the last day to enter your name into the portal is the 30th, April 30th. Now that we have the two separate windows. And so I would think if one of these Georgia quarterbacks were going to enter the portal, maybe Vandegrift, if one of them were going to enter the portal, they would do so very soon because, you know, the whole idea is that teams don't go into summer not knowing any day whether a player can enter the portal or not. And I think that's a large reason why some teams are choosing what date to play their spring game. For instance, Georgia Southern plays its spring game this Saturday. That means that any transfer portals, transfer portal entries uh, for Georgia Southern would have to come basically within the next week after their spring game. That's not a lot of time for a guy to find a new home. So I do think there's something there. There's tr- strategy now in place for where you put your spring game, where you, where you put your spring camps. Pretty interesting. Um, I, you know, again, on Georgia, it, we're so far out. We're so far out from it, but Kirby's going to handle this quarterback situation the way he's handled everything else. It's going to be close to the vest, and whoever plays is going to be because, according to Smart, they're the best, they, they give his team the best chance to win. So that is what it is. The Lady and Sons Restaurant, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast, 102 West Congress Street, Lady and Sons, you guys probably know the name, Paula Dean, Jamie Dean, uh, they have their restaurant, obviously, at 102 West Congress Street, but then the store right next door, literally right next door to the restaurant, also on Congress Street, open seven days a week, 11 to 9. Monday through Thursday, and then 11 to 10 on Friday and Saturdays. 912-233-2600. 912-233-2600 is the number for Lady and Sons. Find them on Facebook and ladyandsons.com. All right, the RBC Heritage wrapped up this past weekend. Uh, Jordan Spieth beat out in a playoff by Maddie Fitzpatrick. An absolutely loaded RBC Heritage this past weekend, folks. Cool to see it be such an elevated event. I don't know how long that's going to last. Um, but, you know, it's pretty notable the kinds of guys that were at the top of this leaderboard. Matt Fitzpatrick, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, um are one, two, three, and 4, uh, which is pretty... Pretty impressive. Fitzpatrick, Spieth, Cantlay, Shoffley. Um, four players on the leaderboard uh, were in the top 20 of the official world golf ranking. Those top four players right there. Uh, but when you count Scotty Scheffler, who finished 11th, uh, that's 11 consecutive top 12s or better for Scotty Scheffler. He's number two in the world. And then John Rahm, the Masters champ, world number one, tied for 15th. Pretty crazy. One other thing of note, uh, Jordan Spieth now has uh, 18 runner-up finishes since the start of 2013, four more than any player in that span. Four more than any player in that span. Um, Spieth is, he's gaining some steam. 
He's playing better. Another guy that's playing better, Brian Harmon. He had a shot, especially after Thursday. But when people talk about Brian Harmon around here, it's always, why doesn't he rep Savannah more? Why isn't he more, more involved with Savannah Christian? Why does he say that he's from Sea Island? And there's merit to it. Every single time Brian Harmon is asked about this event, about it being a, quote, home course for him. He'll say the nice things. He'll say that he likes it here. But he won't ever mention being from Savannah. Never. On Thursday, after one of the best rounds of, of, of his PGA Tour career, folks, less than an hour from his home, if his home is Savannah, as we know it is, He's asked about it. Two different times he's asked about it. Two different times he basically neglects to mention Savannah at all. Here's Harmon on Thursday at the Heritage. Local guys, talk about your uh, your background with this place. Kind of, Did you ever get a chance to play it uh, growing up and obviously in your amateur time yeah, up I got, to now? I got two uh, sponsor exemptions as an amateur. Once as a junior and once when I was in college. Didn't do any good, but uh, was was thrilled to come over here. Uh, it was the first golf tournament I ever attended. I think I was 10 or 11 years old, so it's a it's a cool place. I love coming here. You know, you've been out there a long time now, uh, coming back here a long time. Does it still feel special, still feel like home? Yeah, it, it does. I, I love coming here. I mean, golf is my job, and so I try to make it as business-like as possible because if I get so wound up in who's coming and who's getting tickets and who's coming out to watch, like, I just end up focusing on the wrong thing. So my job is to hit fairways, greens, and try to make putts. And whether that's here, Memphis, Tennessee, or, you know, New York City, it's all the same. All right, so there it is. I mean, it's not hard to figure out why Brian Harmon has some haters here in this city. I still root for him. He's still from Savannah, whether he admits it or not. So I'm always going to root for him. All right, let's uh, move along here to HGP CDOTW. It's been a while, folks, since we've had a Hot Grits podcast Celebrity death of the week. Um, I'm going to give this one to Bud Light. Bud Light died um, a week or two ago. Folks, you may have heard the news. Um, a transgender uh, model, a transgender brand advocate for Bud Light, uh, brought the company to its knees, and Bud Light is now dead. Nobody will drink Bud Light ever again. Uh, people who don't like the transgenders are being represented by Bud Light. They will win with their protest of Bud Light. Don't get it twisted, folks. Anheuser-Busch is scared of you, the little guy. And Bud Light should have been scared too. Met its death, but it earned the HGP celebrity death of the week. So congrats to Bud Light. Okay, now for my interview with Lee Steinberg. A couple of things to get to before we kick into that interview. First off, uh, (laughs) there are some times in this interview where I should have followed up with tougher questions. And I don't even know if tough is the right word. I should have followed up with questions uh, that would have cleared up some answers. Um, Wasn't my best interview performance. Look, hand up. I'll say it. It was not my best performance as an interviewer. (laughs) And um, I mean, all I can do is laugh about it now. I tried. Uh, But you'll notice that there are times where I wish that I would have pushed back and, and asked a follow-up question. Um, but still, we got almost half an hour with one of the more famous agents in the world. Um, 
Steinberg uh, recorded from Newport Beach, California. Uh, that's where his setup is. He's the chairman of Steinberg Sports. Obviously, like I said, sports super agent has represented um, over 300 professional athletes, mostly in the NFL, over 50 years of business, um, eight number one overall picks in the NFL draft, including 64 first round picks. So some backstory on him quickly. And again, you can do a lot of this research on your own. It's L-E-I-G-H Steinberg. Um, at, on Twitter, at Lee Steinberg, L-E-I-G-H Steinberg, S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. So he signed his first client in 1975, who was a dorm mate of his at, Cal, at California. That was Falcons quarterback Steve Bartkowski. The story of how he signed him is legendary. We don't get to that in the interview, but that's something you might want to look up. So from 1975... Through, I would say, the early 2000s, Steinberg is the top agent in the world. They make the movie about him in 1996 with Jerry Maguire. Now, the movie is not directly about Lee Steinberg. There are, there are discrepancies in that, if you ask some people, but it seems to be a universe or, or a widely held truth that the movie was loosely based on Steinberg's life up until 1996 when the movie comes out. Well... In the late 90s and early 2000s, Steinberg truly hits rock bottom. Has addiction issues, um, you know, had problems with clients, had problems with the, with the uh, sports agency world in general, and he, and he fell off. And he fell so far off, you know, real sports, 60 minutes, they all did specials on him. Um, and he, he basically had to get to the bottom which was in the mid-2000s where he was living with a roommate in California, basically had no money, um, was doing real bad. Then he decided to get, he cleaned himself up. Okay, He's uh, about to be on 10 years of sobriety, I believe. Uh, so he gets back in the game in 2014 when he signs Garrett Gilbert, who didn't turn out, but he was a first-round pick. 2016... Paxton Lynch, and then in 2017, Pat Mahomes. And that's when the career really starts to have its second renaissance. 2020, he signed Tua Tungavailoa, which we ask about in the interview. We also ask about Pat Mahomes. Him and Tua split ways in February of this year after the concussions and all that stuff. So it was a crazy season for Tua. So I definitely asked him about that. But he's also represented so many famous players. It's it's. Pretty ridiculous. Ricky Williams, Steve Young, Drew Bledsoe, Troy Aikman, to name a few. I mean, it's a who's who, really. So, just as a side note, quickly, I did not know Stetson Bennett was Lee Steinberg's client when this interview was recorded. It's very important to note because I asked him about Stetson Bennett and I didn't know he was his client. And you'll you'll hear it, and I realized it about halfway through his answer that Stetson Bennett is being represented by Steinberg Sports and Lee Steinberg. And uh, when I ask him about Stetson, the answer is definitely interesting because I was trying to ask about Stetson Bennett's physical shortcomings uh, in relation to his NFL draft stock. And Steinberg, it seems, went directly to defend uh, Bennett's arrest shortly after the national title game. Um, I, I guess it was a mixing of words, but I did not know he was his client. 
So the question comes off a little differently. Um, and then when the answer arrives, it's definitely different. Um, so just that's a producer's note there. Okay, here's Steinberg on the NFL draft as an agent and then the rest of the interview. The draft day is the most exciting day of the year if you represent athletes. It's filled with uh, tension and drama. Um, draft time is not real time. It's water torture time. So every second seemed like a minute and every minute seemed like an hour when it's actually going on. What I want to do is be able to amass as much information as to which specific franchise is actually motivated enough to take the player. And if you can find two or three teams like that who specifically will will have so much passion, then you can follow the draft in a different way. You really sort of know with a higher round draft pick what the hot teams are and where they come up in the draft. And you can sort of watch it that way by knowing that maybe this player has three or four teams that love him. Maybe this has one that's actually absolutely uh, crazy about him and is going to trade on draft night to try to get him. So you're trying to amass information, prepare your players as well as possible for what they're going to be experiencing, uh, perhaps buy the hats for those teams that are uh, the hottest ones and uh, get the player ready quickly after the draft to do a press conference in the city he's drafted. Okay, so this year, do you, like, do you already have clients signed? How does that work? Do you sign the clients ahead of the draft and after they declare for the draft? Is that when, like, the period would be that you would sign a client? Players have two rules uh, in football in college. One is they can't sign with an agent, um, or and the second is they or their family can't take money uh, from an agent. And that goes until the last day of eligibility. In football, that would either be the last game of the season or a team bowl game. And when that gun goes off, then the players can sign with an agent. And today the agents actually pay for the training that virtually every player goes to um, to, um, uh, to get them so they're going to test better and work on nutrition and strength and speed. Um, so players pick pretty quickly in, uh, at the end of December or January. They come in two groups, one who's are not playing in a bowl game, they're eligible immediately at the end of the season and the other uh, group. Now, this is a little bit different now that we have NIL. Right. Because now you have some players, even though they were not allowed under the old system um, to take money or market themselves, they are in a new system. And they can start as early as high school. Yeah, that's something that here in Georgia they're discussing at the state level about the possibility of NIL, like in the possibility of legislation revolving around high school NIL, which is kind of wild, you know, to think about. Circling back to the draft, Lee, the, the media and kind of the draft experts like, you know, McShay and Kuyper and all those guys, how often are you like, I guess, working with them or like how closely are agents working with media? Well, working with 
uh, uh, probably not the right term. Yeah. Working with beat uh, guys and people who write <clears throat> NFL uh, columns, but the uh, Mel Kuypers and Todd McShays of the world <clears throat> just have their own uh, point of view. I'd much rather be directly in contact with teams. And as long as you don't cross fertilize the information, they'll tell you honestly uh, what they plan to do, who they won't tell is the public. And uh, so teams can be totally misleading uh, in the couple weeks leading up to the draft. They're not telling another team in public who they're going to take. So, Let's say a general manager uh, died and went up to heaven and he's talking to St. Peter. And St. Peter said, what's the most egregious sin you did while you're on earth? And the GM says, well, I sort of put out misleading statements about who we might take, you know, in the public. St. Peter would say, come right in. (laughs) Okay, the draft comes at the end of the month. Are you going to be there in Kansas City? Like, are there any clients that you have that are going to be drafted that we may know of? They might, but probably I'm going to see who's staying home. And then the younger agents are are doing most of the hard work. I'm just sort of uh, supervising. Adam Schefter has never contacted you about a point. Like, you don't get contacted about, uh, you know, rumors, like, during the season, like, outside of the draft? That That's different. Uh, those... Those NFL information uh, guys, the Adam Schefter of the world, are always in contact. They're calling all the time about <laughs> everything. They want to know about injuries. They want to know about signings. They want to know about free agency. They want to know about every contract negotiation. So that interaction goes on uh, uh, every day. So how many cell phones do you have, Lee? I have one, I st- but I still use a... Um, uh, a desk phone, which is probably unfamiliar to anybody younger. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an actual uh, landline on my, on my desk, and I have one at home. Um, but I can have calls bounced by my assistant who can take a call in the office, and then if I'm out in the field, can can interconnect it. And, and like, I, I'm guessing this time of year, it's nonstop. It's probably a, a 24-7 type of job? Well, right, because um, you have players, players' families who want to know uh, what's going on. You have press, you have NFL personnel, and all of them are constantly want new intelligence and information. And uh, so it's like dialing for dollars. Uh, you're endlessly talking to people at different teams. So when a guy like like when Todd McShay earlier this year, um, he I don't know if I would say it's reporting. He was in the news about Jalen Carter, the defensive lineman from Georgia, basically citing that he had heard character issues or, you know, not a team guy, stuff like that, like off the field type of stuff. Like if you're representing a client and you hear that narrative about them, like what do you do? You have to talk to the family and and calm them down, talk to the client and calm them down? Or do they just put no stock into that? You start start early so that the real important thing is that you clear the character issues with the team. 
and the teams that are interested, no. So if you, if you had a, a player who had a DUI or who had some problem, you want to make sure that teams know that this is not going to be a recurrence. Um, the player's working on the problem. Maybe goes to AA or maybe goes to anchor management, but he's doing something proactive to ensure that this is just a one-time incident and not a, a pattern. Yeah, and it seems from afar, and correct me if I'm wrong, like it seems from afar that the days of, or I guess I would ask you this, Lee, what, what do NFL teams, in terms of off-the-field stuff, like what's the top thing that would lead you to not being drafted? Because it seems like it used to be, you know, if you failed a drug test for weed, you were labeled like a terrorist. But, you know, nowadays it's, it feels like they're leaning away from that. Um, and I guess it would be like domestic violence type of stuff. Is that? It's repetitive incidents that we seem to believe the player won't be reliable. Right. That if it, they, in point of fact, go ahead and pay a big bonus, that they won't, the player may get disqualified for football or miss significant time. They want reliability. So they have massive intelligence uh, outreach that they're doing in every, uh, for every dra- draft pick that they're seriously considering. I mean, they're going back to junior high or, or elementary school, talking to people who know the player, talking to different people. They're doing intense research on the character issue. And how much research are you doing on a, like, when you sign a client, like, say, Tua, for instance, you know, when he's coming out of Alabama, are you courting him or is he courting you or is it different for every player? It's different for every player, but the key is I try to, we have a practice that's based on the concept of role modeling that a player would retrace his roots to the high school community, the collegiate community, and the professional community and set up charitable programs that have the uh, chance to improve the quality of life. And so you're looking for a special type of player who's bright, and you're trying to screen out players that may have problems that I just can't solve, right? Um, In other words, I can't stop somebody from being an addict. Um, And um, uh, so you're looking to avoid those players. Now, that's different than the fact that every young person makes stupid mistakes uh, in college or something and are not totally mature yet. That you can work with. But if you've got a recurring pattern of one DUI, another DUI, a, a violence, a fight, domestic violence, you want to avoid those situations. Okay, we'll get you guys right back to our interview. First, I'm going to tell you all about John Carr. You know him, you love him. He's our segment sponsor here on Hot Grits, and he is the number one real estate agent in Savannah. Whether you're buying, selling, or just want to learn more about the market, you need to call John Carr today, 912-228-0916. Find him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, John Carr with Seaport Real Estate, and he can help you find or sell a house 
in this area. Call our guy, John, today. Tell him we sent you. 912-228-0916. Yeah, I, you know, when we first planned this interview, it was right after the Caitlin Reese or um, Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, uh, I guess I would call it incident, uh, at, at the Women's National Basketball Championship game. When you see basically bringing spotlights to a sport that is rarely in the spotlight, women's college basketball. Um, if you were like advising either one of those two players, what would you tell them? Because the first thing I would tell you is that preparation and planning are the best defense against incidents, whether they occur on the field or not. Right. So you're trying to prepare the athlete before the experience for the fact that they're going to be in a fishbowl. They're going to be under a microscope. They've got to be really careful when it comes to driving with alcohol. They got to be careful when it comes to relations with the opposite sex. They have to be careful to stay out of bar fights. And if they don't want to do that, they can play on a, uh, on a sandlot. Um, so you have to make sure that they're aware of how vulnerable they can be. And so the best thing is prevention. And then, as I said earlier, if you have someone who's done something that they're not particularly proud of, you just have them come out and apologize and, and um, make the comment they know they're a role model and, um, and that they failed. And then you want to show something that uh, some action that is active enough that it's not just talk. They're doing something to make sure this doesn't happen again. Tua was probably one of the craziest stories of the NFL season this past year for a number of reasons. You know, I know that you guys parted ways earlier this year, but after the season, what was it like being, uh, you know, his representative uh, this season with all the concussion stuff and all the different stories and rumors and stuff with the Dolphins as a franchise? Uh, was it as crazy as it looked from afar? Um, I really wouldn't have a lot to say about that. That's an issue with uh, Tua and his family, but let me make it more uh, generic. Uh, okay. I had a crisis of conscience back in the uh, late 80s because I kept seeing players get hit in the head. And and so we started holding concussion conferences to try to find out how many is too many, what's the magic number. And then, um, um, so you're, you're trying to do everything you can in a situation to make sure that the concussion protocol is followed, um, that a player doesn't go back out on the field too soon. Uh, two concussions in close temporal proximity create a, uh, a perfect neurological storm. So you're doing everything you can in those situations behind the scene to make sure um, that the player doesn't play again until they're asymptomatic um, at rest, um, on an extra cycle, at practice, and, and the, the symptoms are all gone. Because otherwise, you've got Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and chronic traumatic encephalopathy and uh, 
depression and a whole set of consequences. So this is an injury you have to be careful of. Yeah, I think anybody that's followed your story, Lee, can tell that you care about the off the field stuff and the player and, and their society and, and where they came from. Um, and, you know, and to that end, Pat Mahomes, uh, one, one of your more famous clients, I would guess, uh, I think that's safe to say, he seems to be a poster child for that method, um, uh, you know, for giving back, uh, for, you know, remembering where you came from. But he's also Pat Mahomes and he's the face of the league. Um, so when he's getting like State Farm uh, commercials, are you involved in that? Like, does State Farm come through you to get Pat Mahomes to, to represent them? Or is that like a separate part of so in the, Patrick Mahomes altogether? So you, there are a number of people working on uh, Patrick's marketing. But, um, um, you know, basically with a high-profile player, you want to make sure that they're in different product categories. In some cases, the agent will go out and look for deals. In other cases, the company will approach the player or the agent. So it goes both ways. And obviously, you've represented a lot of quarterbacks, Lee. Um, how often are you representing or how often have you represented a quarterback where at the draft, um, the team that the quarterback currently plays for drafts a quarterback and it's unexpected to you or to your client. Like, have you ever had to have that conversation on draft night, you know, when there, a surprise comes like that? Absolutely. So while I, on the one hand, you're looking at draftees, on the other hand, you're looking at the impact that who a team's taking has on your incumbent veteran players. And so, yes, there's some shockers um, where, um, I mean, I, I remember uh, representing Ricky Williams and then Deuce McAllister, the top running back on the board, gets drafted to go to New Orleans. Right. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so that'll happen. But, again, with a franchise quarterback, someone that you can win because of rather than with somebody you could build around for 10 to 12 years, you're, you're not usually um, going to be in shock because there's so much interplay going on. I mean, the team who's got a veteran quarterback, um, I mean, I don't know what happened when Aaron Rodgers a couple of years ago saw that a top quarterback had been drafted, but um, um Hopefully he had the information ahead of time so he didn't just get blindsided. Yeah, I was going to – I mean, there's a real opportunity here, Lee, to say that Aaron Rodgers might have been in the dark on that, uh, but that might be low-hanging fruit with his darkness retreats. <laughs> so I'll stray away from that. What's the, what's the biggest misconception publicly about NFL contracts and what they mean as opposed to Major League Baseball contracts or NBA contracts – uh, like what, what sets NFL contracts apart? Because for the most part, there are two types of guarantees that can go into a contract. When a player signs a long-term contract, if it's guaranteed for skill, if he's signed for five years and he becomes not so talented, the club's still on the hook to pay him the rest of the money. If he um, 
gets a career-ending injury and the contract's injury guaranteed, he gets um, uh, he, he he gets every penny paid, even if he's injured the first game. Um, now that's standard in baseball, basketball, and hockey, but traditionally football players didn't have guaranteed contracts. Now they're starting to emerge a little more, but uh, when money's guaranteed, it counts against a uh, cap directly. So the sports that has the most injuries and the most um, uh, uh, brutality to it has the least guaranteed contracts. Yeah. That, and that seems, that seems backwards for sure. Um, so, okay, we're in Georgia, obviously, Lee. So I want to ask you, I want to close with uh, two questions revolving around this state. Um, first, I guess I, I don't know if you're allowed to or if you want to specifically talk about him, but Stetson Bennett, you know, as a person that's represented a lot of NFL quarterbacks, I think you would be in a good spot to, to answer something like this. Is he, is Stetson Bennett the kind of quarterback that, that, your uh, agency would look at and, and, you know, not necessarily look at the physical stuff, but, but kind of his story um, and see that it aligns with him. Like, is that. Again, you have to talk to the person. You can't just go off press and the rest of it. Sure. And then the question becomes, as I've said before, is this a one-off where um, a player had a bad incident or is this who he is? So you you have to talk to that. He's certainly a great player. Yeah, and I think a lot of people. I mean, he's just been a polarizing topic here for you know pro- for three years now, and and I think leading into the NFL draft, a lot of people still have very different views on whether he'll get drafted or, or when he'll get drafted. He's um, one team to believe in. Him. Yeah, and do you like? He, I'm guessing you think somebody will believe in him, right? I do. I do too. Yeah. I, and I'm very interested to see when and where that happens. Um, Falcons, uh, Lee, you, your first client was a Falcons quarterback. Um, and you've represented a lot of other pretty famous Falcons in the past. Um, is there anything that stands out about that organization either back then or now um, that you can share with, with fans, Falcons fans, um, kind of the way they operate or, or, you know, their philosophies and, well, you know, they haven't been as successful recently, but Arthur Blank is really bright and really committed. And so they have a, a reasonable front office. I don't think they'll stay down all that long. And um, it, it, um, they had the same issue with, they had a franchise quarterback in Matt Ryan and, uh, you know, he ended up somewhere else. But um, I think, Falcon fans can feel fairly confident that they have a good organization, they have a good owner, um, they have a good coach, and uh, teams go through these cycles and they'll be back up soon. All right, Lee, well, that's all I have for you. Um, I got I to gotta just ask you this, though. Um, that's a 25-minute interview, roughly, and no Jerry Maguire questions. How about that? Um, well, you can see him there. <laughs> um, what's that a question 
No, not really. I guess, have you ever been in an interview where they didn't ask you about? Because when I'm preparing for this, Lee, I'm, I'm watching other interviews and it seems to be the same questions over and over again. And I imagine you get tired of answering Jerry Maguire questions. Well, I don't get tired of anybody being interested in um, uh, uh, my background or uh, whatever. Uh, it's, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I still walk through airports and People run up and say, show me the, <laughs> and then the last word. <laughs> money, I'll say it. Show me the money. All right, hey, Lee, thank you so much, man. This has been awesome, um, and I know our listeners will enjoy it. So thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, Mike Anthony joining me now, a little postmortem for the Lee Steinberg interview. Mike, you, the listener has just heard the interview. Uh, I gave you the interview Basically, as the listener heard it uh, beforehand, so we could have, uh, like I said, a postmortem here. First, original takes from you. What'd you think? Well, I mean, it, it was... Oh, shit. You started with a well. What do you expect, though? You're going to get... You're talking to a lawyer. You're going to get lawyer speak, right? Well, the NFL draft is the most exciting time of the year. Exactly. What, what did you think you were going to get from him? I, no, it's not from him, Mike. It's from me. Like, well, what, what did you think of it? First off, like you had to have thought, damn, there were some awkward moments. There were, but I think that you can account some of that to the uh, 1.5 to 2 generational gap between the two of you. Yeah, true. Uh, what, a, what a random pairing of human beings. Exactly. Uh I think that maybe that interview would have gone better face-to-face. You can pick up a lot on facial cues, social cues, whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of bits that he did not get, Mike. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that he did not bone up on all of your lines of questioning from previous interviews on this show. Okay, so here, let's give some backstory because, like, you've heard the interview now. First off, the a lot of people will say, how, how, how did you get him? They might also ask why. Uh, my, my answer was the NFL draft. Like that was my original, like thinking for it. Um, and then I looked around and saw that he had spoken in other places about NIL and all that kind of stuff. And so, okay, that's why I tried. How I got him is through Steinberg Speaks, whoever the rep, the company that represents him. I was going through a guy, uh, Adam, okay, for like a week or two to set it up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then, then when the interview comes on, like when we're set to interview, there's no video on either side, but I just hear, I see the person log in and I say, hey, yep. what, what's going on? And it's like a person that says, hey, Travis, and I don't know if it's Lee Seinberg. I don't know if it's Adam. I don't know who it is. Right. It's going to be a hope for Lee, right? Right. So it's Adam. And I had just sent him, I had just sent him probably Mike, no joke, probably like 35 bullet points before the interview of things we might touch on. Like I'm not giving away questions or giving away some of the stuff, but just generally. And so we talked for about a minute. Then Lee Steinberg comes on and I tell him what I told Adam. I was like, did did he, did you have a chance to look over any of the stuff he started laughing at me, man. He goes, no, no, he no. Did not. He goes, no I didn't. <laughs> First thing I thought of was, oh, you didn't read the doc. So you didn't read the doc. You're just like Spencer. You did not read 
the dock. So we were off to a, a good, a good start. Um, yeah, the, the, the Stetson but, Bennett, not knowing Stetson Bennett was his client was unreal, is an unreal mistake. Yeah, that was bad. But to back it up just a half step for anyone listening, you know, you and me talking from one reporter to another, like, you know how this goes. When when people ask, how did you get person X to come on your show? The answer 99 times out of 100, and I'm sure you would agree with me here, is brute force effort. You just keep calling until somebody, anybody picks up the phone. 100%. I ask, or I say this all the time, you'd be amazed at what you could find out if you just keep asking. Yep. Because sometimes okay. you're asking the wrong question and sometimes you're asking the wrong person, but you'll yep. get to it eventually. Sometimes you have an angle. Sometimes you have a contact. The majority of the time you just keep dialing numbers that never pick up until eventually they do. Yeah. And it, and that is the ultimate struggle of, of the gig. <laughs> uh, but besides the Stetson Bennett thing, look, the listeners already heard before the Steinberg interview, I told them about not knowing about Stetson, but there were other parts of it, Mike, like the, the, um, uh, let's see here. The, the part where I said the Aaron Rodgers darkness thing, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that didn't land. I don't think he got that. Yeah. I think again, that's a generational thing. Um, but, but that was major news in the NFL world. It was, but again, you know, you're talking to a guy who is not, concerned with uh, people that aren't his client. Right. So why would he be on the cutting edge of uh, Burning Man slash Coachella slash 20, 30-something takes, right? Yeah. I was surprised when he um... – oh, oh, what about the story about Paul at the gate at Heaven? That was weird. I didn't, I, get, yeah. I didn't get that. That was – yeah. Man, I can't get you to bite on. You're like Lee Steinberg right now. What, are you interested in anything I'm talking about, Mike? No, no. I, I was about to say that uh, he he was transitioning into uh, uh, the old Grandpa Simpson talking about a uh, story about what it's important to remember is that I had a turnip on my belt, which was the style at the time. Dude, and there are so many parts of it, like the segues between question and answer, that I had to that I had to trim up, just because it's me, like kind of laughing but kind of not sure where to go it, it was it was like it, it wasn't talking to your grandpa it's like going to your girlfriend's house and talking to her grandpa yeah and trying to just feel that out where are um, we going all right a, a few more we'll get to baseball i promise but <laughs> uh the jerry Maguire stuff so that was my ultimate goal right like i'm not obviously i do all all my research going into this thing, right? Besides Stetson Bennett, of course. Um, and every single interview is about Jerry Maguire. Like, not the whole thing, but there's a large majority of it is about Jerry Maguire. And so I was like, let me try to do one without Jerry Maguire questions. Mm-hmm. No Jerry Maguire, because his life is that interesting. Uh, and then I get to the end, and my plan was to just edit that part out and had the last question be the end of the interview. And then he, it was just an all time. He didn't get it or he wasn't interested. Show yeah. me the. And then he couldn't say money. Uh, I mean, my only two 
takeaways from that are that either it's somehow copyrighted or trademarked at this point because it's such an iconic phrase, or like you said, he's had to say it so many times that you're kind of, well, maybe not lucky, maybe you were unlucky that you didn't get the old school click and dial tone because that would have been a great app too. Oh my God, that would have been excellent. Um, What about the, what about, dude, what about when I asked him about Schefter and he goes, or when I asked him about McShay, uh, you know, with the character issues thing. And then I asked him about Schefter. He goes, no, no, no. That's a completely different thing. They call all the time. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it. Let's cut in the most awkward part here. I'm going to cut in the part where he's asked me, was that a question? <laughs> well, you can see him there. <laughs> um, what's that a question? All right, so well, we'll always have that. They can't ever take that away from us, Michael. We'll always have the least Steinberg interview. He wasn't interested in talking uh, to us uh, at all. Yeah, well, breakups are tough, man. Yeah. Clearly. Uh, Let's talk baseball, Michael. Let's talk baseball. Um, Start with the Braves, obviously. So uh, look behind the curtain. We're recording this Monday night. Uh, Braves are currently up 2-0 in the sixth on the Padres. But stats that I'll give you come before the Monday night game, 12-4, winners of six in a row. And Max Freed just left the game after throwing five scoreless innings. Yeah, five scoreless innings. In his return from the I.L., uh, Von Grissom back up, freed back from the I.L., Acuna tearing it up, uh, Austin Riley with a two-run homer tonight, and Sean Murphy with a gigantic weekend against the Royals. Uh, and the most notable thing for me, Mike, and I don't know if you all have takes, but I'm going to tell the audience this. They know this. We witnessed, people, one of the rarest of rare things a Brian Snicker ejection happened over the weekend, like a uh, like a comet, like a shooting star, uh, like a what is the thing where the where it just gets completely dark, Mike? Uh, solar eclipse. Like a solar eclipse, folks. That's how rare it is. Brian Snicker ejected. It's no coincidence that the Braves are in the midst of. Uh, I'm going to give them Mike since they're up to nothing right now Monday night. I'm going to give them they're on a six and a half game winning streak right now. That's fair. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you'll have Braves takes, Mike. Do you? Uh, I mean, they're, they're good. They can hit the hell out of the ball. I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon, although it should be noted that uh, it's not like they've been beaten up on the bullies of the MLB so far. Oh, the strength, but, of, the strength of schedule thing. Well, I mean, but that's – Honestly, they've beaten everybody well enough that I'm not going to hold that against them. Uh, they, they've been hitting the hell out of the ball, no matter who's throwing it. Um, and honestly, the only team they've struggled against was the Padres when they came to Atlanta. And so far on this Monday night, they're trying to get their revenge. So definitely not taking that as a ding against them, just saying that it's going to get a little bit tougher. But, you know, that's why you beat up on people early and build a lead. As an outsider, do you do you realize how beat up the Braves are? I know every team is beat up, but but 
do you even know like some the guys that are on the IL? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know what the injury list situation is, and like you said, it's comparable for a lot of contenders that are dealing with it like everybody else does. And I think the one thing they have going for them is that no matter how many injuries it is, which it's a lot for every team, you judge it on the length of the injury, not the uh, number of total injuries. And right now there's nobody that's figuring to be gone for the entirety of the season for them. Well, and I think the thing with injuries is it's always different in the middle of it than when you look back at it because really, you know, baseball guys, as we both are, Mike, we know that when you look back at a 162, it's like a golf course. If you look at it backwards, it looks completely different than when you look at it moving forward, like when Mm -hmm. you look at it one direction. So for me, it was always when you lose Michael Harris, when Max Reed goes down, Iglesias still hasn't pitched a game this year. He was their closer coming into the year. Their shortstop situation has been fluid to say the least. Arcia started (laughs) off nice, but Grissom's already up. Uh, we had, you had the injury to Darno, the concussion injury, which, you know, nobody really knows. Then you had the Ozuna Rosario thing where there's a lot of unknowns surrounding both of those players. Uh, and then also the back end of the rotation was made up of two rookies on top of Ian Anderson being lost for the year in the minor leagues and Mike Soroka having not pitched, uh, since the early eighties. Yeah. So for me, it was like, dude, just tread water. That's what I was thinking with the Braves. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right, I think. And, but they've uh, done better than tread water. Well, they have. And I think that uh, to tie it back to last week's episode when we were going NBA, I, I think that with the latest collective bargaining agreement, there's a little bit more leeway in terms of what you can get away with, with options, with younger guys, the shorter stints for the IL, now 10 days instead of, 15 days, you know, seven if you count it as a concussion. I think that what we're seeing now is teams coming around to a quote-unquote load management sort of style of play in MLB. Um, These guys have got their money. They're content in their money. It's all guaranteed. So if you've got not malcontents, but guys that maybe just don't deal with injuries as well, give them a couple days off, especially if you're winning. Let them come back in a week. Yeah, and that's the thing, especially if you're winning. Like a lot of this stuff is, if you can win two of three, a lot of stuff can be put off till next week, and you yep. can and you can ride out a whole month like that. And I guarantee you, this isn't just Braves centric. This is any team in Major League Baseball. I guarantee you, all these little injuries that are piling up for every team right now. You get to early to mid August, all the teams that are contending those teams that are three games or less out or in a winning position, you are not going to see guys that are day-to-day for three or four days with a tweaked ankle or tweaked hamstring. Right, that's right, when, right, right. That's but when the, it's time to go. But the difference being that the Braves are 12-4. and four Yeah, correct. Yeah. Like they're, they've, they're doing work now despite the injuries, which is exactly how you get to the point where you can have that philosophy the – whole way through the summer right and then worry about who's hurt who's not who do we need at the end so there's been a lot of talk about the rule changes i mean we talked about them going in mike is there anything for you that has changed like i guess there's one for me is there anything that any rule change that you hated or loved coming into the season that that you're at least considering changing your mind on now that you've seen it in play 
I'll say that going into the year, I was skeptical on basically all fronts, but I am mostly skewing positive on all fronts from what I've seen through spring training into uh, the regular season. There's a couple of, I don't want to even say concerns. There's a couple of things I didn't consider that I don't think are going to change or going to be uh, addressed by Major League Baseball. It's something that they're going to put on teams to address. Um, The biggest thing, everybody talks about the pitch clock. I'm not so worried about whether someone gets a ball or a strike or a balk or whatever called against them. The one thing I didn't see coming that I have seen a few times is the meltdowns. Like, you've been a middle infielder. When a pitcher's in trouble, when there's no one up in the bullpen, when, uh, you know, the the manager or the pitching coach hasn't quite realized it yet, what do you do? You go to the mound, right? Oh, that's a good you point. Slow, yeah, you slow it down. That, yeah. You let them breathe, and now you can't do that. That's a disengagement. That's a, that's a tick off the old uh, – Marker there for the home plate umpire. You can't obviously you've never had unlimited mound visits, but now you don't even get to uh, have the catcher, you know, go out there and check on you. Shortstop go and check on you. Someone doesn't like a ball. Someone needs to, you know, uh, clean up the rubber. Go to the rosin. But you can't do that anymore. Right. And I think that you've seen more big innings because these pitchers, not that they're gas, but. Sometimes you just need to hit pause, and right now you don't. You, it's either someone's ready to come in and take the ball from you, or you've got to bear through it, and a lot of guys just aren't up to it. Yeah, well, I will say that I, I think if the, what was the goal of most of these rules? To speed up the game? Speed up the game, and ju- not, not even speed up the game, but just Total. take away the dead parts of the game, which I'm all for. And, okay, so in that, yeah, in that way, they have undeniably worked. I think, yeah. right? I mean, I think they've worked. I, I think that 95% or more of the downtime that's been eliminated has been just that, downtime. And yeah, and like you and I have watched baseball for so long, and a lot of the people listening to this have watched baseball for so long. I think, like, I don't mind, like, I like it. I, I, don't, I like the, the pitch clock. Again, I wish it was like two or three seconds more. Um, and then the pitch. What about the 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 throw over? I think is a is a bit too extreme. Like, I mean, we should probably add one to it. But it has led to more stolen bases, whether we like it or not. That was the goal. Yeah, and I like to think that you know baseball for before these rules even got enacted, that for everyone who said that baseball had too much downtime, that it was boring. I kind of equated it to, and I'm not a savant on soccer, but people who say that, you know, nothing's going on in soccer and people who love soccer are like, no, no, no. You just don't see the big picture. You don't see how things are building. You aren't considering all that. And that's kind of how I tried to describe baseball is, yeah, that pitcher's just walking around in circles and talking to himself and everybody's scratching their jocks. But you're also considering how many outs there are, who's on base, where's the left fielder playing, you know, did this guy get me out inside or outside? There's yeah. all those things to consider that are going on in everyone's heads that don't make it through to the casual observer on TV, and you can't force that into someone's brain. But all this is now, with the pitch clock, kind of putting that in speed motion, and I, I think that you're seeing some people rise to the occasion. I think you're seeing some people shrink away from it. Yeah, because all that stuff is still happening, right? Like all it, that it behind-the-scenes stuff is it's, just happening it, at a rapid pace. 
Exactly, and I think that that's where you're seeing some pitchers that can bear down. I think that's where you're seeing managers that know exactly what to do with their fielders and because you don't have 20 seconds to just shift everyone halfway across the field. And I think that you're seeing it with hitters too. They've got to be able to think in real time. They don't get to take a lap and say, oh, I was ahead in the count. Now we're even in the count. What should I expect now? Oh, man, the no shift has been so awesome. It's been so awesome to see like plays and moments that we haven't seen in so long. Uh, like the second baseman venturing out, uh, you know, and, and stabbing or diving that ball in shallow right or, or between him and first and, and having to make that throw across his body to first. Oh, yeah. I'm a lefty. You're a righty, but I can empathize with that. I did, as a former first baseman, I, I like that as much as anyone. Like I forgot. Range all about it backwards that. into shallow right. Yeah. What a great dive. play. What a great but play. You can't, you can't just catch the ball. You got to be thinking about where your momentum is, how you're going to swing your body around, because you can't stand up and throw it. You got to swing your whole body around, do a 360, pirouette, throw it without even seeing it half the time if you got a speedy runner. Yeah, you know, those are fun plays to watch. Yeah, and I like that, um, you know, the balls up the middle are still getting got a lot because they're still shifting over it, but they're not shifting. I don't know. It just feels a little more pure. Yeah, it feels a little more pure. There's Uh, nothing wrong with thinking that you know about where they're going to hit it. I just didn't like it when it turns into a slow-pitch softball game. (laughs) Okay. uh, Well, we'll wrap up, Mike. Uh, A few more notes on the Braves quickly. I thought this was interesting. Their next off day. So the Braves are uh, three, three at San Diego. Off day, April 20th, uh, Thursday. Then their next off day doesn't... Everybody's celebrating 420, right? Right. Way to go, Mike. Weed. Um, Yo. So they're off, on, they're off on April 20th. Then they play, Mike, every day until May 8th. And then they're off again on May 11th. So they're off April 20th, May 8th, and May 11th. Yeah, that is a slog. So if anything happens and they start losing, that's why. Just to let you know. Well, that that's another thing is I think that it might take a year, maybe two, to get the kinks uh, worked out of this new scheduling because they've gone away from the unbalanced schedule. Yeah, the new schedule is like, weird. There's a lot which, of interleague. And I like it because you get to play every team. And, you know, for teams like ours in the NL East where you figure it's the Braves, the Mets, and Phillies beating up on each other all year – you don't have to play 19 against each other anymore. It's now, what, 13? But along with that, I think that you're seeing some weird off days. Like, I know the Phillies, for one, you know, I, I track them more than the Braves. They played the Marlins a couple times, and I don't think they play another NL East team for like half a month still. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I forgot it's about the weird. schedule. The schedule has been completely different. They started out with two interleague series before they even played a national league team. Uh, they're supposed to be playing an interleague series right now, but like you said, everybody got a little windy and cold in Chicago. So yeah, the Phillies were supposed to play Monday, and, and they got and they all canceled because it was bad weather. Yeah, uh, no comment on that. But yeah, that sucks, Mike. Why haven't we seen the Phillies yet? Like the Braves and Phillies should have played. Well, when you have six fewer games during the course of the season, you can't play every week, can you? No, unacceptable. They should have played, and I'm <laughs> going to write a strongly worded letter. Uh, until episode 157? 157. Get your shit together, Trav. Until episode 157. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282.